interruptions can be frustrating. By definition, they stop progress. They keep us from achieving what we want. They obstruct, they slow us down, they bring our momentum to a halt. But would it be interruptions in our lives were actually opportunities? Opportunities for God to speak to us. Opportunities for us to listen. What if God is interrupting what we want to teach us what we need? What if God is interrupting who we are trying to be so that he can show us who he is? What is God saying to you in the interruptions? Interruptions, they are unavoidable, unavoidable. Now, in this day and age, some of that's our fault, right? Because we carry around the very avenue, the vehicle of interruptions on ourselves every single day. And that's this thing right here. I want you to think about your smartphone for a second. And the access that you have given people, the permission you have given people to interrupt you, I'm, I'm sorry, notify, notify you, to give you notifications, right? You know, when you just think about your contact list and the people who can text you, when you think about your email, your work email, your personal email, when you think about social media and all the, way, all the updates that you get from that, and then people can direct message you through your different social media platforms. And then somebody may all of a sudden have the audacity to actually use the phone to call you, the nerve. Right? We have given people all kinds of access and permission to interrupt us. Now, some of y'all have taken it to another level, and you actually have something on your wrist now that notifies you. It wasn't enough that it was in your pocket. That's too far. I can't, I can't see it. So I, now we... We have it on our wrists and we, we get pinged and interrupted constantly. Now, some of us, we gave birth to our interruptions, right? Now, some of you ladies out there are looking at me thinking like, what's this we stuff? We didn't give birth. We didn't give birth. So, and, and I hear you on that. I hear you on that, ladies. We, we, we did not give birth. You're right. You're right. But, hey, if you have kids, kids equal interruptions. Now, I didn't always have kids, and I wasn't always married. And I was, uh, I was uh, the strange single guy who used to visit with families, and I'm, I've always been intrigued by family dynamics. Just always been intrigued by it, love watching it, love to see parent and kid interaction. It's just always just something that's intrigued me. And I would be at people's homes, and I've seen a variety of different ways with how parents have dealt with interruptions in her home. You know, I've seen, you know, the, the classic scream off, right? Kids are yelling, mom, dad, what? Mom, dad, what do you need? Mom, dad, like they never tell you what they need. What do you want? Why are you screaming my name? So it's just a scream off. I've seen that. Then I've seen the standoff, right? You know, mom and dad are, they're downstairs, kids are upstairs, they're yelling, and the parents are like, not moving, not moving, not answering them. If they need something, they'll come to me. 
they'll come to me. I've seen the standoff. Then I remember the one day. I was in a park. We were hanging out, talking with a dad. Kid comes running up to their father. I'm in a conversation. And the kid just runs up to their dad, gently places their hand on the leg of their father. And the dad just keeps talking to me. And I'm like, like, I'm distracted. I'm like, I don't know what's happening right now. What's going on right now? At that moment, the, the dad, he felt like there was a good place where he could pause. He's like, hey, give me one second, one second. He addresses the child. The child makes their request, and dad answers it, and the kid runs off. And I'm, like, I had been on the, the earth 30-plus years at this point. I had never seen that in my life. I've never seen that in my life. I'm looking at this dad. I'm thinking, are, are you Jesus? Like, I don't know <laughs> what just took place where a child would actually run up to their parent, place their hand on them, and not interrupt. No interruption. To the point to where they waited patiently until their, their parent was ready to address them. Now look, for me growing up, you yell, mom, mom, dad, dad. It was like, say my name again, see what happens. I mean, it was, it was crazy in my house. It was crazy. It's a wild, wild west. But here's the deal. As we've been walking through and talking through interruptions, different interruptions in our life, the interruptions that, that happen to Jesus, the interruptions that Jesus brings into our lives, what we've been noticing is this, is that Jesus, he is the, he's the master teacher. I use, and I say this all the time. When you walk with Jesus, and we're going to see, just like we see with these disciples here in our story that we're going to look at this morning, class is always in session. Class is always in session. Jesus doesn't take a break. He's always instructing He's always teaching. He doesn't waste any time. The bell never rings. The bell doesn't ring. And the whole time, he's going to use these moments, and dare I say, he will use these interruptions in our life to give us life-changing, life-changing moments where we, where we begin to see things and embody the things that God himself values. All right, so if you want to make your way to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. We're going to take a look at an encounter when the disciples, they get a very unexpected but needed, but needed lesson. Mark, chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 10 through, actually, verses 13 through 16. Now, the story isn't very long. It's not very long. It's four verses. And, and Matthew and Luke is three verses. It's not long. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all include it. The same story follows each one of those. And we'll take a look at that. But it's not very long. But it, it will show us the heart that Jesus has towards kids, towards children. We're going we're gonna to get a glimpse into the value system of Jesus. But more Importantly, but more importantly, you're going to begin to see the kind of heart 
the kind of heart that a follower of Jesus must possess in order to inherit the kingdom of God. He's going he's to go from a child, but he, he's going to move from that child and from that example to something far, far greater. Something far greater. And the hope is that today when we leave this place, we'll see that children, children actually model the helpless and dependent posture that we must possess in order to, to receive the kingdom of God. That that's the example that children give us. Now you may have heard it that children need us. And we, and they do. That's true. But when we look at this, this passage today, I want you to see that me and you, we desperately need kids. Kids, they need our example. We need the example of children. We need their example more than you'll ever believe. So make your way to Mark chapter 10, 13 through 16. And uh, it reads like this. And, and they were bringing children. Now they here are presumably their, their parents. Right? right? Jesus has just kind of come off the heels of teaching about divorce and, and really highlighting the design, the permanent nature of marriage. Right? He's been holding that up. And right off the heels of that, it says that, and they, and they, I'm, we're assuming that these have to be parents, right? They were bringing their children to him, who is Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. All right, let me, let me repeat that. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on each of them. So we're going to look at two responses today when these kids come into view. We're going to see the disciples, and uh, they, they're in a rebuking kind of mood. So that's, that's going to be their response. And then we're going to see Jesus who is in a receiving kind of mood, right? He's going to receive these kids. Now, to kind of paint the picture a little bit with kids during this culture, okay, this time. Maybe not Jewish culture so much as just the culture at large. Um, kids just weren't seen the way that we see kids today. You know, we see kids and um, we esteem them. They were, the, kids had no status in society. Right? They had no status. They weren't thought highly of. You know, we look at kids, we see kids, and we're like, oh. There's an endearing quality that kids possess. You know, we look and see people who are maybe hobnobbing, kind of hanging out and kissing babies, and we make jokes saying, hey, are you, are you running for mayor? Are you running for office? Because it's it's beneficial in this society for you to value children. It's a benefit. Back then, not so much. Now, so you didn't have parents who were like trying to live vicariously through their kids. They were wanting to have kids in hopes of having a son that might, might you know, keep the, the family line going. But you also wanted to have kids because it was associated with your work. Your workforce was tied to children on some level. 
And so, but it wasn't the sentiment that we have today. There weren't a lot of bumper stickers that say, my kid's an honor student at Judea in elementary school or something like that, okay? It just wasn't a thing. And so the disciples are operating under kind of that cultural framework. And they don't understand that those words that Jesus said in the very beginning when he was beginning his earthly ministry, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's at hand. He's ushering in a kingdom. There's a new ethic. There's a new way to, to live. There's a new way to see. And they're getting a crash course on, hey, you don't quite understand the way that I value kids. You don't see that. So the disciples are struggling to grasp this so much that when they start coming, what do they do? They rebuke. They, they play the role of, of gatekeeper. Parents are trying to bring their kids to Jesus. And they step in and say, no. They become the gatekeepers on, hey, we will decide on who Jesus will bless and who he will not bless. We will decide on who gets to you. We will decide on the status of those people who, who are who are able to actually make it to Jesus. They miss it. They miss it. Now, how much do they miss it? Now, they've been walking with Jesus for quite some time. They've had interactions with kids before. But isn't it interesting that those who are, who are so closely tied to Christ, who are so close to his teachings completely miss the heart behind the teachings. And that's a warning shot maybe for, for all of us is that we could be so close. The teachings of Christ can be so familiar, so familiar that it loses the gravity that it must have, that it should have in our lives. How much do they miss it? Well, look at Jesus' response. It's not... It's not, hey, 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 guys, let's let them, come on, come on. It's, it's good, it's good, it's good. He didn't play it off. He didn't play it off. Look what it's, look at it. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Literally, he was aroused to anger. He got mad. He was mad, and his anger towards what was happening was evident to the disciples. And his, his, in his anger, he shows you. You know, it's, it's the old saying that you, you can tell what a person values by what makes them angry. Well, listen, the way that these kids were being treated, the way that the lowly are being treated, it angers Jesus. We get a glimpse on what he values. And the scriptures tell us that he was, he was indignant. And this is like you talk about that escalated quickly. It escalated really quickly here. And it moves from how we deal with kids and letting kids come and don't hinder them, to now he's, he's in a full-fledged lesson on eternal matters. And he's mad because, listen, what's happening here is a microcosm now that has to deal with heaven and hell. Like this isn't just, some, just, just something that you're, you're doing that is, it points to something greater. It's not something that we can just kind of sweep under the rug. So he begins to teach and he says, hey, do not 
hinder these kids. Now, we might not be the ones who are, like, we're not standing at doors, like, turning away families as a church. And you're probably not, you know, turning away kids in this, as overtly in this sense. But again, we're in a different kind of culture. We're in a different kind of culture where our kids are esteemed. Our kids today, dare I say, they have a, a, a power. They have a leverage in our society that if we're not careful, we play into. I want you to understand about the value and the ethic of the world, the value and the ethic of our culture, even with all of the op opportunities that our kids presumably have. Our culture does not care about whether your kids see Jesus or not. They don't factor in as they begin to launch their campaigns and, and their schedules and what they're wanting to accomplish culturally. For, they don't care about the fact of whether or not your kids see Jesus. That's our role. That's our job. And we... If we don't prioritize the obstacles that are in front of us, if, we, if we're not moving those obstacles out of the way, then man, we're, we're complicit in some ways, right? I want to submit something to you this morning. Because every parent in here wants their wants their child to have opportunities in life. You know, it's often been said that, you know what, I mean, in, in so many ways it drives what we do, right? We just want our kids to have a better life than we had, right? There are things that we did not have and we want them to have them. We want to secure a future for them. We want to make sure that they're set up or in some way when we leave this earth, right? Now, I want, I want, to, I want to submit this to you this morning. Could it be the opportunity for your child, the the advantage, the biggest advantage that, that our kids would have over the vast majority of the kids in the world is that they grow up in a distinctively Christian home. Could it be that, that when it's all said and done, that's what every child would have cried for, that they would have wanted to have a home like that. Some of you, like, you're sitting right here with me and you're like, man, amen. Because you're living what I'm living. You're living out now with your kids something that you wish you would have had. And what I'm encouraging you, do not dilute that by trying to add the culture, trying to squeeze that into the objectives that you might have for your kids. So prioritize the things of God for your children. Pray with them. Listen, the world's not praying for your kids. Read the Bible with your kids. The world's not reading the Bible with your kids. Set them on a spiritual trajectory. Show them their value in pouring in the things that are eternal. Make church a priority. Be part of the fellowship. Don't separate Jesus from his body. Let, let the kids get all of Jesus. All of who he is. So making, making sure that our kingdom values are shaping in our view of children over cultural ones. It's easy. It's so easy to be like these disciples. 
and we start doing this, but we're doing it in a different way in the name of opportunity. And we could be diluting and just blowing the biggest opportunity that's in front of them. And it's a mom and a dad who have the Holy Spirit and believe the gospel and love Jesus. I'm telling you right now, that's what every single kid needs. That's what every kid needs. So the idea of trophy kids was foreign in that, in that culture. It should be foreign in our culture. All right? I'm not saying don't pursue stuff, don't do things, and don't, don't mine out the talents of your kids. God's gifted them in, 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 in ways. But he didn't give them gifts to pull them away from Jesus. Right? So we got to be mindful of that. So Jesus, he's doing Jesus' stuff. He's turning the value system upside down. And he's coming in with the thunder on how they're viewing kids because the way that they're viewing kids is not merely a reorientation or a recalibration. What they need to do is repent from that. they got to turn from that. He has a radical way of how you need to see and view your kids. And this is not the first time they've gotten this lesson. Go back a chapter. Go back a chapter to chapter 9, verses 35 through 37 here in the same gospel of Mark. And what you're going to see is that, remember they're having that whole debate and argument on who's the greatest. And Jesus, he, he knows what they're talking about. And he calls them all together in verse 35 of chapter 9 here in Mark. And he says, and he sat down and called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and he brought a child and he put it in their midst. All right, so he's took, he takes a child, puts it in the middle of them, a boy. And he says, taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. He's already given them, again, a value. And I think here of like what God values. And when you value the things that God values, guess what? Hey, you are, you are closely connected to God himself. You receive this one in my name, you receive, you receive God himself. And he gives you another glimpse of how children were seen. Because what does he say? He uses the child as an example of being last of all and servant of all. You mean to be the greatest, I have to, I'm, 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 behind, I'm in, in the back of the line of this kid? Yes. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. That is the ethic of the kingdom. That's what Jesus is ushering in. That's what he's bringing. He's communicating those values. It's not so foreign for you all as a parent or anything. Like when you're out there and you think about some of the best ways that people can love you is they love your kids. You love my kids, you love me. <laughs> you love my kids, you love me. But then he goes on. In verse 15, and this is where it completely pivots. We thought it was all about loving kids, but it's not merely about just kids in this way. It's pointing to something far greater, which is the point. He says, verse 15, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, if you don't receive the kingdom like a child, you shall not enter it. Think about that statement. He's talking about the posture of your heart. And Jesus is saying, if you're not like this, you do not get this. And it has eternal implications. This is no small thing. 
So look at it. He says, receive. The kingdom is received. So listen, the kingdom of God is received. It's not achieved. And I'm telling you, that's a foreign thing for like. When we think about raising our kids, when we think about us in our workplace, like we're in such a performance-based culture. Perform, achieve. If you want it in this world, you got to go get it. No one's going to give you anything. Go grab it. Take it for yourself. If you don't look out for you, who's going to look out for you? That's our world. And we can, that can get on us. It can start to get on us. And what happens? We begin to play the game by the world's rules. And listen, we will 100% lose when we do that. You'll lose. Your kids will lose. The kingdom is completely different. The kingdom is received. It's open hands. What can I do? What can I do? You can't do anything. You can't do a thing to receive it. It's not achieved. It's not merited. That's why we call it grace. It's called grace. And it's so counter-cultural. It's so counter our condition. We'd rather puff up our chest and try to, try to earn it. So when he talks about being like a child, receiving it. He's pointing to the helpless and dependent nature that we have, that we must have. Look, if you're not, if you don't see yourself as helpless, Jesus has, he, he has nothing for you. That's why he's called Savior. Right? He rescues. By nature, he's a rescuer. He's a Savior in that way. But listen. That's why he's also Lord. Jesus isn't schizophrenic. He's not, Jesus, he's not Lord to some and Savior to other. He's the same Jesus. And he's, he's also Lord. He's Lord. And this is that sometimes we really think that we need God's help, additional guidance. I, I just need your help a little bit to navigate this, this life. Just help me along. I've got a good handle on some stuff. I just need you to handle some of that supernatural stuff because I'm only a person. If you can just handle some of the unknown stuff, that's what I'll go to you. But everything else, I feel like I can get a grasp on. But that's not how it works. That's not the helpless condition. Listen, when these kids are coming, these small little children coming to, to Jesus, I want you to think about a toddler. I want you to think about a toddler in an amusing park. You at Disneyland on a busy day. And you know, you have this kid walking with you. Some of you, it's like you've got him in a stroller. You're not going to dare let this kid walk around this place. And what is it? It's you've got that hand. That kid holds your hand. And listen, it's not that they're holding your hand. You're holding theirs. You're not letting them go. Because if you let their hand go and you let them, to, let them to their own devices, there's no telling where they'll end up. And what I'm saying is that's why we need Jesus as Lord. We say, hey, God, take my hand. Lead me. Because if you let go of me, I don't know where I'll end up. That's the kind of helpless condition. That's the kind of, that's the childlike condition that should inform how we follow Jesus. 
We're dependent. We are utterly dependent. Much more than we'd like to, like to acknowledge. That's the example. And that's the example that children model for us. They model the helpless and dependent posture that we must possess. I didn't say that it would be great to, that it would be good to, it would be a good virtue. No, you must possess that in order to receive the kingdom of God. Not Bruce's words. This is what Jesus says here. Look what he says at the end here. He says that um, in verse 16, he says, he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. My question is this, why does somebody need to be blessed? Why does somebody seek blessing? You don't seek blessing because you already have something. You seek blessing because you lack something. And you seek blessing from God because he is the only one that can feel what you lack. But if you don't see your lack, there's no need for blessing. And there's no need for the one who gives blessing. More importantly, the blessing and of the, of the kingdom. One pastor said it like this. He says, it's not that the kingdom of God is also for the helpless. It's only for the helpless. It's not that the kingdom is also for the helpless. It's only for the helpless. That's, that's where you'll find, that's, that's the only people you will find in the kingdom are a bunch of childlike, helpless, dependent people. That's that's heaven will be filled with those people. Only those people. You know, I talked about there's there's a story that that butts up against this account in, in those three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke John, and it's it's the story of the rich young ruler. And I found that intriguing. And of course, this thing isn't put together by happenstance. It's very, I think, very intentional and purposeful in kind of how things play out. But what was the thing? It's like the, the rich young ruler, he came running up to Jesus, the scripture says, right? And look, nobody's trying to, nobody's trying to hold back the rich guy. The kids were like, hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 he's... Jesus doesn't have time for this. But the rich guy, he seems to make it to Jesus. The guy with status seems to make it to Jesus. And he, he's on his knee. He's, he's, he's doing all the right stuff. So it seems. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do? And man, it's like maybe you missed what was just said up here. You can't do anything. You want to keep the law? Well, that's, I've done that since my youth. I've done all this. Mm, you haven't. You haven't. But you know what? The Bible says that with this rich young ruler, he says, looking at him, he says he loved him. He loved him. He loved him and said, you lack you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, 
follow me. See, he came down kneeling, but the, the posture of his heart was standing up. He was trusting in something other than what Jesus offers. And he didn't feel like he needed or wanted what Jesus offered because it says he was disheartened by the saying and he went away sorrowful. You know why? Because he had great possessions. See, his possessions were greater than his need. He didn't see his great need for Jesus. He didn't see that that lack, that one thing you lack is the difference between heaven and hell. Like it's an eternal difference. It's a chasm that can't be filled by your own achievements, by your possessions. So you hear, you have all these other people who are, who, what do you, I, I have nothing. All you can do with the gospel, all you can do when it comes to Jesus, all you can do when it's coming to, see, to the kingdom is come with your open hands. The rich young ruler could not do that because his possessions were great. You can't hold on to the world and receive the kingdom. You've all, your heart's already tethered to a kingdom. You've got to let go of one to receive the other one, like a child. You ever go to a child and say, all right, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Stick out your hands. Kids are like, what's it going to be? They're in anticipation and in trust. Open hands. It's only when we get older we're kind of like, hey, close your eyes and Hold it your hand, you're like, oh, no, I'm not even, no, no. But kids, no. Trust, no, no, no. Let's, let's receive. And for you today, maybe for some of you, it's your first time. You need to, you need to assume that you need to see your need for Christ. You need to be a child. You need to become like a child and receive the kingdom. You get Jesus, you get the kingdom. It's not achieved by you, but it was achieved by someone. Jesus is the one who lives the perfect life. He's the one that does it. We need someone to fulfill the law. Jesus says, I'll do it, I'll do it. And I've done it. Well, we need a, penalty. We need a payment for sin. We need somebody to pay for the penalty of sin. We need a sacrifice. I'll do it. We need a resurrection. We need someone to conquer death. We need someone to conquer sin. Jesus says, I did it. We can receive because Jesus achieved all those things. He did it in our place. He did it for us. We're not locking arms and doing it. We're in this thing together, Jesus. No, he did it for us. Our only response is receive it. Not grasp, not take, receive. For some of us, 
It's, it's allowing the, the ethic of the kingdom to becoming like a child to, to continue to grow in that. See, as a child grows, it's a little baby and what physically begins to develop and we're growing and it grows into just a mature, full-grown adult. Listen, the kingdom is much, much different than that. See, when we came into the kingdom, we, we thought kind of highly of ourselves and we got smacked and one time we really understood that, you know what, I need a savior. I need, I need someone to rule my life. I need, I need you, Lord. We came in like this, but as time goes on, what happens? Man, we, we become conformed to Christ. We begin to, we begin to grow down. We begin to see how small we really are. We, that's how you become a child. You grow in the opposite direction. And some of y'all, hey, you need to take a step today. Something's, something's hindering you from Jesus. Something's an obstacle for you to seeing Jesus. Maybe you have some things in your life that are being obstacles for your kids to see Jesus, and you need to do away with those stuff, and you need to make that path wide open so your kids and for you to run, to run to Jesus. And when you do, he will receive you. He will receive you. I'll be down here a little bit later after the service. Would love to chat with you. If you're figuring out, hey, what... Man, what do I need to do with this message today? I need to talk to somebody. Hey, just text Bell Shows at 774 We would love to, to help you get to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace in our lives. We thank you that, God, when we humble ourselves, when we, when we come like children, when we, when we open our hands, we... We can trust a good heavenly father to give us exactly what we need. Father, that being dependent upon you, God, we're not vulnerable, we are safe. We are safe in your arms. Our lives are safe in your hands. God, you will never steer us wrong. So, Father, I pray that you would give us the posture, the heart of a child. That we would walk like one, dependent on you. Thank you that the kingdom is for the helpless. We pray all these things in Christ's mighty name.